Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Starter is also available as an ebook and as an ad free, unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash the starter. Quentin sprinted down the alley of an alien world, armed gangsters not far behind. He jumped piles of rubbish. When he couldn't run over divider fences, he ran through them. Not that many were left with his bigger teammates clearing the way. Every now and then, he was just a little too late turning a corner, and a bullet would hiss past his head or smack into a wall, sending up a shower of blue crystal shards. He kept everyone in front of him, including Jew, urging them on. Then he was out of the alley maze and sprinting across traffic. Grav cars extended street brakes, soft claws digging into the street surface below with a rubbery squeal. Some didn't stop fast enough and smashed into each other. A four-passenger cab hammered into Quentin's right hip, sending him careening across the street. He hit and rolled, started to come up, then threw himself flat on his back as a grab truck roared overhead just inches from his face. A strong hand grabbed his and yanked him up hard enough to dislocate his shoulder. Rebecca. Quentin, come on! Where is everybody else? We got separated, but come on, we have to move! She was bleeding from the left temple. Her right eye looked swollen, but these things did nothing to hide her animal intensity. This girl was a warrior. She yanked him, and he moved with the momentum, running off the street and onto the packed sidewalk. He heard police sirens coming closer, then heard more gunshots. Just in front of him, a bullet connected with an elderly quith leader's head, entering through the big softball-sized eye and exiting out the back in a cloud of whitish meat. The leader fell to the ground, already dead. Quentin had to jump over the twitching body. Quentin, this way! Becca ducked into another alley. He followed her in. They had to slow down thanks to a curly tangle of thick blue crystal. The sculpture-like curve sliced into his orbiting death jacket as he picked his way through. He stepped over one thin curl of blue, only to put his foot down right on top of another. He felt the crystal slice into his foot just before he saw it poke out from the top of his shoe bloody and gleaming in the thin light that filtered into the back alley. He bit back the scream. He didn't have time to bleed. Quentin pulled his foot off the shard and started running. Bullets smashed into the blue crystal curves behind him, filling the alley with a cloud of flying splinters. Suddenly, Chucky Chong flew next to him. Your friends are this way. You run now. Chucky whizzed down a smaller alley on the right. Less crystal here, as if something had knocked it all down not long ago. Quentin saw boxes, blankets, more trash, a place where homeless and transients slept. Chucky flew through the alley to an abandoned building. Quentin knew it was abandoned because of the plastic plates mounted over the doors and windows, and the blue crystal spurs that curled around the openings and even through the plastic. An abandoned back alley apartment, or store, or whatever it was, quickly forgotten in a city where even the walls had to be constantly trimmed. He ran, felt a hand grabbing his arm. How do we reach Greedock? Becca said. We're running out of options. Where is he? He's coming, Quentin said, and prayed to High One that he was right. He ran for the crystal-choked door, wondering how he would get in without cutting his hands to ribbons. Just before the door, he saw movement to his left. Chodo, waving from an open window. Blue shards coated the ground below the window. 
one of his teammates had broken in and cleared the way. Limping and trailing footprints of blood, Quentin ran to the window and climbed through. Quentin stood inside the abandoned storefront. His teammates had fared little better than he. Mumo was clutching a lower left arm wound that dribbled black blood through his thick fingers onto the dirty floor below. Chodo the Bright bled from a gunshot wound to the shoulder. John had a fairly severe cut on his left thigh. Becca's eye had swollen shut, and Shoto Thicket's front right foot was a shredded mass of orangish flesh and wet black blood. Jew Tweety, of course, looked fine. Blue crystals grew up from the floor like budding trees. Quentin and the others had to watch out for the sharp edges. Quentin, John said through heavy breaths. Where is Greedock? Hey, he's coming. We just gotta keep moving. Move where? Becca said. Chodo, you're from here. Where do we go? My family's bar, Chodo said. The dead fly. It's on the other side of the city. We need to steal a vehicle. Jew rolled his eyes. You guys call this a rescue? Are you kidding me? Damn, John, thanks for messing things up again. Quentin lost it. He limped the three steps to Jew and threw a hard left cross. Jew bobbed back a fraction of an inch. Quentin's punch sailed through empty air. He never even saw the fist that smashed into his nose. Quentin fell on his ass as the room blurred. He tasted blood. Wow, Jew Tweedy was fast. John grabbed his arm and helped him to his feet. <sighs> yeah, Jew is kind of like the best fighter ever, John said. Taking a swing at him? <laughs> Not such a good idea. <laughs> the crack of a gunshot. Jew Tweedy looked down at his leg. Blood started to spread from a spot just a few inches above his knee. Ouch, Jew said. Then his legs gave out. Everyone stay real still, said a voice from the window. Quentin and his teammates turned ever so slowly to look at the small, human gangster crawling through the window, his gun trained on the Kraken's players the entire time. Four of his well-dressed associates followed him in. You guys shouldn't have come here, the little gangster said. We have diplomatic immunity, Quentin said. You can't touch us. The little gangster shook his head. No, you shouldn't have come here, to this building. You should have stayed out in the public eye. You know, where there are witnesses. The gangster stood there, each with a gun trained on a Kraken's player. So, John said, you can do whatever you want, so what are you going to do? We're going to wait, the gangster said. Miss Villani wants a word with the mad Jew. Jew let out a moaning noise, then sat up and jammed his thumb into the new hole in his leg. He grimaced as he did, yet the move seemed as perfunctory as drinking a cup of coffee in the morning. Jew smiled at the little gangster. Hey, Smitty, how about I give you an autographed jersey and we call it even? The short gangster shook his head. Season tickets? Smitty laughed, then shook his head again. I am going to miss you, man. You always did crack me up. Now shut your mouth. They all stood in silence. A couple of minutes later, Quentin heard two sets of footsteps coming down the crystal-strewn alley. One heavy set with big feet, and one that sounded different. The click-clack of high heels. Quentin saw those heels. A sexy, dark red with six-inch stems slide through the open window, followed by long legs clad in black stockings with a repeating pattern of skulls running up each side. A red leather skirt that clung tightly to wide curves below a narrow waist. She seemed to float through the window, until he realized her effortless movement came courtesy of the two gigantic hands holding her sides. 
The big hands put the woman down. She stepped forward, resplendent in dark red leather and black lace. She wore dangling black earrings and a small pin above her left breast, metal flake red with a flat black circle, the team logo of the orbiting death. The dark outfit accentuated her white skin. Not pink, not tan, but white, as pale as fresh snow. She wore metal flake red lipstick on big lips. Heavy black eyeshadow covered her eye sockets and extended to her temples. The hair was jet black, but that was a dye job. Women with tower heritage had hair as white as their skin. By the numbers, she might have been the hottest woman Quentin had ever seen in his life. Hotter than Somalia Midori, possibly even more beautiful than Yolanda Davenport. But there was something disturbing about this woman, an aura of coldness and lethality. If it's the person inside that really counts, Quentin was looking at a walking corpse. Hello, Julius, she said. Fancy meeting you here. Jew stared at her, sadness and hatred in his eyes. Why did you kill her? She didn't do anything. Anna's perfect lips stretched into a soulless smile. She betrayed me, Jew. You thought you were safe, could flaunt it right in my face, but you didn't think long term. And for that, you both have to pay. For some reason, Quentin looked at Becca. She met his gaze, gave him a small nod of understanding. She had been wrong. Jew was innocent. Anna walked around the room, looking at each kraken in turn before her made-up eyes finally landed on Quentin. Jew, she said, I see you brought me some new playmates. How considerate of you. Quentin wiped blood away from his nose. Miss Villani, maybe we could just slow down a bit, talk this out. She walked toward Quentin, walked slowly, letting her high heel echoes ring off the curled crystal shards and empty walls. Quentin took a step forward to meet her and instantly realized it was a mistake when three more barrels pointed his way. She wrinkled her nose and nodded. You should probably stay still in all that, Barnes. Don't get twitchy. She reached up a red-sleeved white hand, let her black fingernails trace down the right side of his cheek. He stayed perfectly still, ignoring the tingle her fingertips sent through his skin. Quentin Barnes, Anna said. My goodness, you're even more of a specimen in person than you are in the news. Let me guess, you organized this mm, ill-fated rescue attempt? Quentin looked at John, then back at Anna. Yeah, sure, he said. We wanted to save John's brother. We really didn't mean any disrespect, Miss Villani. She smiled, now running her fingers through his hair. No disrespect. Tell me, Quentin. How stupid are the women in the purest nation? Quentin didn't know how to answer the question, but he knew he'd said something wrong. Uh, well, they're as smart as other women, I guess. I mean, as smart as other people. They're smart as other people, I mean. Oh, I don't think so, Anna said, because I bet a pretty set of lips like yours can say anything to the girls back in the nation, and they'd believe it. But out here in the rest of the galaxy, maybe we girls aren't so malleable. Maybe we don't believe your lies. But, Miss Villani, I... He stopped talking when her left index finger rested on his lips. Shh, she said. Quiet now. Best if you let me talk. You tell me you mean no disrespect, yet you come into my city without so much as a hello, let alone actually asking for my permission. You come after a man that you know has wronged me. Wronged me so, so badly. Yes, Quentin. That is disrespect. 
and you disrespected me. Now, what are you going to do about it? Quentin looked down into her cold eyes. I, I don't know, Miss Flani. She pulled her finger away from his lips. His red blood coated her white fingertip, almost matched her metal flake red nail polish. She slowly traced the finger across her full lower lip. His blood gleamed on her lipstick. She slid her finger under his chin. Maybe if you give Anna a nice kiss, she'll forget all about this and let you go. Quentin stared at her for a second, then looked at his teammates. He could discern no reaction from Shoto and Mumo. Becca shook her head, while John violently nodded. Quentin looked down at Anna, saw the corners of her mouth lift up in a controlling smile. He bent and kissed her. She only looked cold. Her lips were soft, warm, and strong. She kissed him back a little harder than he kissed her. He felt every muscle in his face simultaneously relax and tingle, felt a warmth in his chest. He'd lost himself in the kiss when she gently pulled away. Quentin opened his eyes. His blood had smeared across the pale white skin of her chin, the corners of her mouth. She stared at him with a quizzical look in her eyes, as if she were working out a puzzle. Hmm, she said, then patted him twice in the cheek. Sorry, Quentin, not good enough. She turned on one heel and strode toward Jew. Quentin noticed that she stopped well out of Jew's reach. Even though he was wounded, Jew Tweedy was a big, dangerous, fast man. You flaunted her in my face, Jew, Anna said. And for that, I'm afraid you have to go. Smitty, take care of this for Anna. Smitty walked forward, slowly raising his gun toward Jew's head. Jew took a deep breath. He didn't look away. He was going to watch his death coming. Quentin tried to think of something to say, but he had no words. Anna Villani's cold confidence made it clear that there was no talking to her, no getting Jew out of this. The Krakens would be lucky if they got out of this. Smitty leveled his weapon, arms slanted down until the barrel was only a few feet from Jew's head. Everyone jumped when a shot rang out. Everyone, including Smitty, who took a half-step to the right, then collapsed. He landed on his butt, fell to his back, and lay flat, a bloodstain spreading from a spot in the center of his chest. Drop your weapons. Quentin and everyone else in the room looked to the window. There stood Virak the Mean, a smoking handgun clutched in his left pedipalp. Also in the window, down to his left and to his right, two humans each holding handguns, aiming them into the room, three weapons ready to take out anyone that moved too quickly. Anna's gangsters tensed, seeming to weigh their odds. Villani, came a voice from behind Virak. Tell your people to put down their guns and there will be no further issue. You have my word. But if anyone points a gun at Jew Tweedy, they die. The voice belonged to Greedock the Splithead. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. 
but when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. On a remote island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Anna Volani's eyes narrowed. She drew a long breath in through her nose and held it. Quentin could feel the rage radiating off her white skin. She let out the breath through her thick, lipsticked lips. Boys, drop the guns. Her gangsters immediately complied. Quentin noticed that there was no backtalk, no debating. When Anna Volani spoke, her sentience snapped to action. With the two humans covering him, Viractamine stepped through the window. The two humans came next, followed by another quith warrior Quentin didn't recognize. Finally, Virac reached back through the window, lifted Greedock the Splithead, and gently set the quith leader down inside the room. Anna Volani walked up to Greedock. At five feet, eight inches tall in her spike heels, she towered over the well-dressed, well-groomed quith leader. Greedock, she said, venom dripping from her voice. What do you think you're doing here? Protecting my property, he said. The situation I saw is your sentience pointing weapons at my players. Of course, I cannot allow that to happen. They came into my territory. That means I can do whatever I want. I believe you are getting ahead of yourself, Villani, Greedock said. The council has not yet recognized your authority. Her face wrinkled into a sneer. A sneer that Quentin couldn't deny was even more attractive than her smile. Oh, please, she said. I am in control of the OS-1 syndicate. There is no doubt about this. You are wrong. Sick of the death's passing means the OS-1 syndicate is leaderless. You have to make your bid to the council, Villani. Like they would dare deny me. If they do dare, you are out, Greedock said. There are many ambitious young leaders in the galaxy that want this territory. Like who? Perhaps Stedmar Osborne? Quentin's eyes widened just a bit at the mention of his former boss, the owner of the McCovey Raiders. Greedock nodded, his whole upper body moving back and forth twice to signify yes. If Osborne comes here, Anna said, her words cold and slow, I will cut out his heart and feed it to him. Aside from the relative anatomical improbability of that act, it would not be Osborne who would come first. If the council denies your bid and you were foolish enough, to resist their orders, at least a dozen of the galaxy's best assassins would descend on Orbital Station 1. They would be gunning for you, Villani. And if you were even more foolish as not to submit a bid and simply assume control, which, despite what you told me, I am sure you have not yet done, well then, there would be more than a dozen. Many more. She stared down at him, hate filling her face. 
Greedock looked up at her, as calm as ever. I always considered you smart, Valani. A smart leader would not assume control without a vote from the council. So, are you in control of the OS-1 syndicate, or not? Her lips sneered again. Then she relaxed them. Greedock had all the cards. Quentin was starting to understand the criminal hierarchy. With sick of the death gone and no leader in place, Greedock had the right to kill any of these sentients, including Anna, without fear of repercussion. No, she said. I have not assumed control. Smart, Greedock said. I always thought you were smart. Since you are not in control, that means you must respect the request of any Shamakath. Greedock, if you think that I'm going to swear fealty... Nothing so crass. I am simply going to take my players and leave. Anna looked back to Jew, glaring at him, hunger in her eyes. Just your players? No! John shouted. Greedock, he's my brother! You can't just leave him! Silence! Greedock's scream could have come from being twice, possibly three times his size. A voice full of rage and power. Another word out of you, John Tweedy, and I will not only start looking for a new middle linebacker, I will enjoy the process, because killing you here and now would provide me with immense satisfaction. You have pushed me as far as you dare. Your brother is wanted for murder. His own team cut him. He no longer has diplomatic immunity. Even if he is turned over to the police, we all know where he will end up. There is nothing I can do. Yes, there is, Quentin said. You can sign him. If the room had been still before, now it was frozen absolute zero stiff. Greedock shuffled in place. The small clacks of his feet, the clink of his jewelry, and the rustling of his furry arms against a furry body filled the silent room. Then he stopped moving, and all fell silent again. Greedock stared at Quentin. The leader didn't look upset or even agitated. That is, unless you looked into his one big eye which was flooded a deep, pitch black. Barnes, Greedock said. I think that you are forgetting something. And what's that? That you have a two-time Galaxy Bowl quarterback playing one spot below you. If I kill you now, the result on the field will be little different for the rest of the season. Quentin wiped more blood away from his nose. He had to play this just right. Greedock did not make idle threats. Quentin was as close to death as he'd ever been. We're not talking about this season, Quentin said. We're talking about next season, and the season after that, and the season after that. Greedock said nothing. Some of the black faded away. Now he was only mad enough to destroy a city, not saturate bomb an entire planet. Signed you, Tweety, Quentin said. That gives him back his diplomatic immunity. Then the police can't touch him. The police can't, but I can, Anna said. And I will. No way I agree to this. Greedock whipped around to face her. Did I ask you if you agreed to it? Did I, Valani? Her lip curled again, but she shook her head. Greedock stared at her for a second, then slowly turned again to face Quentin. Barnes, Jew Tweedy is wanted for murder. There will be an investigation. The system police want to talk to him? Fine. Then they can come to the touchback and question him. He didn't kill that girl, Greedock. Guilt or innocence does not matter. It does this time, Quentin said. The investigation will find out that he had nothing to do with it. 
Barnes, Greedax said, you are playing a game that you do not know how to play. Do you really think all of this complication is worth it? Just to replace Mitchell Fayed? Jude Tweedy isn't a replacement for Mitchell Fayed, Quentin said. He is better than Fayed, and you know this. Greedock stared, then walked forward, until he was standing right in front of Quentin. The mob boss's right pedipalp reached up a little and curled inward, a gesture that said, Get down here. Quentin knelt on one knee. You played me, Greedock said, quietly enough that only Quentin could hear. You called Hokor, knowing Hokor would call me. You knew I would find you because of your tracking bracelet. You knew I would come after you, possibly even want to kill you, because you put so many of my valuable players in danger. Did you also time it so I would make a dramatic last-second entrance? No. The way I figure it, you're actually a little late. Greedock's black fur instantly ruffled the full length, stayed puffed up for a moment, then lay flat again. I would suggest you avoid provoking me, Greedock said. At this moment, I am unable to tell you which would give me greater pleasure, winning the Galaxy Bowl trophy or shooting you in the stomach and watching you beg for death. Quentin saw his own reflection in Greedock's cornea, saw his own eyes widen a little at the threat. Greedock wasn't joking. If Quentin pushed this any farther, it would be too much. I apologize, Quentin said. I am grateful that you came after us, Greedock, but Jude Tweedy is worth it. You've seen him play. Right now, he is the best running back in all of football, and we can have him. And make an enemy of Anna Volani, a human I barely know. To make an enemy of her now is foolish. And how will it look if you don't sign you? Your players ran off without the approval of their Shamacath. You had to fly to Orbital Station 1 and bring them home. It will be clear to the galaxy that you could have signed you, Tweety, but you did not. If you hadn't come here, that's one thing. None of the other crime bosses came, but you did. Since you came and you didn't sign Jude Tweety, I think the other crime bosses can only assume one reason. That you fear Anna Villani. This is crazy, of course, and far from the truth, but it is what they'll think. You're going to lose face. Crime lords will think you're getting weak. The only way to avoid sending that signal is to sign Jew Tweedy. Greedock just stared. His eye flooded black again, even thicker than before. Quentin felt his pulse rushing, knew that Greedock could sense that, and yet this time it could not be stopped. This quiff leader could call for Quentin's head at any second. You are religious? Greedock asked quietly. Quentin swallowed, then nodded. Then you had best embrace your primitive beliefs and pray, Quentin Barnes, pray that you do not suffer an injury so grave it ends your career. Should that day come when you can no longer play for me, you and I will have some business to settle. He turned and walked back to the woman dressed in dark red. Villani, he said, I will be taking my players and also Jew Tweedy as well. That jackobath doesn't leave this planet, she said quietly. I don't care if everyone in this room dies in a bloodbath. Jew Tweedy is mine. Very well, Greedock said. What? Jew said. What do you mean, very well? Greedock pointed a petty pelp at him. Jew, I suggest that you do not speak again. If you do, I will take my leave immediately. Jew stared, then hung his head. Villani, I want to take Jew Tweedy with me, but I will leave the choice up to you out of courtesy and respect. 
You know what my choice is. You haven't heard my offer, Greedock said, his voice rising and gaining intensity. Anna leaned back just a little. Quentin didn't just watch. He found himself studying. A room full of guns and deadly people. A wounded man. A corpse. A powder keg that could blow up and kill everyone in a flash of gunfire. All of this, and yet Quentin could see Greedock's strategy, see him intentionally raising his voice at just the right time to gain more and more control over the situational flow. What Quentin did on the football field, Greedock the Splithead did in a game of death. My offer is simple, Greedock said, his voice again calm and barely audible. I wish to offer you Tweedy a contract. In exchange for this allowance, I will speak on your behalf to the council. I will endorse your bid to assume control of the OS-1 syndicate. Anna Volani blinked rapidly, almost like a ticker measuring off her thoughts. She hadn't seen that one coming. You will endorse me? Greedock did his human nod approximation again. Quentin watched her face. He could see the want there, the lust for power. She hated Jew Tweedy and wanted him dead, but she wanted that power even more. All right, she said. But if you can't reach an agreement with Jew, then he's mine, and I still get the endorsement. Agreed? Agreed. Now, if you would be so kind as to leave us to our own devices, I will negotiate with Jew. I'm sure your people will be watching us depart. If Jew is not with us, you will know we could not reach an agreement. Anna looked at Jew once more, hunger on her face. I hope you run for it, she said, then turned and looked at Quentin. Don't think I'll forget this, Barnes. A kiss is just a kiss, unless it is a kiss goodbye. Quentin stared back at her and felt something that he rarely felt. Fear. She was a reptile in human disguise. A stunning, sexy reptile. She walked to the window. Her massive heavy G-guard lifted her and delicately set her outside the window. Her guards followed her out, leaving Quentin, Greedock, Jew, Tweedy, and the other Krakens players alone in the abandoned building. To an outside viewer, someone who didn't know the players in this particular game, the situation might have seemed comical. A room full of sentients, ranging from 250 pounds up past 600, some 7 feet tall, some 12 feet long. The elite athletes of the galaxy, and by any standard, some of the most dangerous sentients in existence. And yet these big, strong sentients radiated nearly tangible fear in the presence of a three-foot-tall being that vaguely resembled a furry cross between a monkey and a spider. I am not happy, Greedock said. The influence I just gave Anna Vellani for free would have fetched a steep price. You have all cost me. The Blackbird leader strode over to the still-bleeding Jew. Jew Tweedy, you will sign with the Ionath Krakens. How much? Jew said immediately. League minimum for three years. Minimum? But I'm making over— You are making nothing, Greedock said. You were cut from the orbiting death. You will sign, and now, or I will leave you here to fend for yourself. I'll run. Another team will sign me. Running will be quite difficult when you are missing a foot. Virak! The quith warrior turned and fired a shot into the floor just left of Jew's knee. Concrete and plastic shot up in splinters. Jew winced as one of the splinters sank into his thigh. The quith warrior changed his aim slightly. The barrel now pointed at Jew's right foot. I have made an offer, Greedock said. Do you accept or do you decline? Jew looked pained, and not from the fresh wound spilling blood down his thigh. 
He looked at his brother, John, who nodded violently. Take the deal, you idiot, played across John's forehead. Jew looked back to Greedock, then slowly nodded. I accept, he said. Greedock snapped his petty palp fingers. Massal the efficient hopped over the windowsill, where he must have been waiting the whole time, a contract box clutched in his petty palps. Greedock took the box, called up the holo display, poked a few numbers, then slid his middle left petty palp finger inside. Jew stood and limped to the box and put his right thumb inside. After a brief pause, the box gave out a beep, and the deal was complete. Choto, Greedock said. If you aren't too busy following your new Shamakath, kindly call the Orbital Station 1 system, please, and tell them we need an escort back to our ship. Full police protection, as benefits our diplomatic immunity. GFL Week 6 Roundup, courtesy of Galaxy Sports Network. At the halfway point of the 26-83 season, the Isis Ice Storm, who are 4-1, took sole possession of first place in the Planet Division with a 22-10 manhandling of the faltering Toe Pirates, who are 4-2. The Mars Planets, 4-2, won their third straight in a critical match with Wabash, who is 3-2. The win puts the Planets into a tie for second with the Pirates. The new Rodina astronauts, who are 4-1, moved back into first place in the solar with a 17-3 win over the Vic Vanguard, who are 1-4. The Strohs are tied with the Board Brigands, 4-1, who had a bye week. Just a half game behind both of those squads are the Dakar War Dogs at 4-2 and the Neptune Scarlet Flyers, also at 4-2. The Dogs missed their chance at sole possession of first, thanks to a 28-27 loss at the hands of the Bartell Waterbugs, who are 2-3, while Neptune moved up thanks to a 35-31 shootout win over the Sala Intrigue. Deaths. Mars Planet's running back, Daniel Zubianski, killed on a clean hit from Wabash defensive tackle Stephen Wardop. Offensive player of the week. Y'all running back, Jack Townsend, who carried the ball 23 times for 212 yards and a touchdown in the Criminals' 27-24 win over the Alamum Armada. Defensive player of the week. Wabash defensive tackle Stephen Wardop, who had two sacks, six solo tackles, and a fatality in a losing effort against the Mars Planets. You have been listening to The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League Series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. 
The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.